Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning and welcome to Friday. It's nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's Friday the 13th, by the way. 0406521250. Give us a call anytime, 24-7. Marcus Paul in the morning hotline is open. Many of you are commenting on some of the stories I've put up on social media, on the Facebook page in particular. Uh, lots of you commenting on your thoughts on uh, the recent and final debate between the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and Anthony Albanese. Uh, Albo, from all accounts, well and truly winning that debate. Does that make it 3-0 or 2-1? Or if the last one, in fact, was a draw, that means 2-0, doesn't it? Anyway, does it really matter? Well... A lot of polls are out, and including some internal and new polling that's been done by News Corp, which shows that Anthony Albanese and Labor are on track to govern Australia from next Saturday. They reckon it's with a majority as well, with Labor winning up to 80 seats, while the coalition will drop down to some 63. I'll get into that story and that polling for you soon. Uh, we'll go through some of the latest news that's around. Uh, apologies this morning for the uh, the voice and the lisp. Again, back and forth to, to the, uh, the dentist, still having some surgery done on the mouth. So today's uh, program might feature a little more music than normal. And uh, I'll, leave the, I'll let the mouth settle over the weekend and hopefully it'll make a bit more sense come Monday. Anyway, we're here on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform on TuneIn. And if you miss any of the program, of course, we're on the Prawncast, the podcast a little later on your favourite podcasting platform. If you do listen back to the Prawncast, please, if you don't mind, give it a share on social media so we can help grow our audience. The latest news, sport and weather will keep you up to date thanks to Air News. Some great tunes as well, so let's get into it. On this Friday the 13th, this is Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, let's get into it. Friday morning, it's the 13th. Well, exclusive YouGov polling puts Anthony Albanese in the lodge. However, the coalition still remains strong in New South Wales. This is according to polling conducted exclusively for News Corp's Daily Telegraph. And it puts Albo in the lodge come May 21 using a method which predicted the United Kingdom's 2017 hung parliaments. So, Labor is likely to sweep into power and form government on its own right, with 80 seats leaving the so-called Teal Independence backed by Simon Holmes a court, dangling without portfolio on the crossbench. That's according to YouGov polling conducted exclusively for the telly. The survey also predicts that New South Wales will be a relative stronghold for the coalition, which is predicted to lose only the inner west seat of Reid and the central coast seat of Robertson to Labor, although it also lists the north shore seat of Benelong and the western Sydney seat of Lindsay as too close to call. Now, according to the results, 
the most likely outcome of next Saturday's poll is for Labor to win the election with 80 seats, with the coalition falling to just 63 seats. The Greens are predicted to hold their one seat, defying the party's hopeful predictions about picking up more places in the lower house, while various independent candidates are expected to wind up with seven seats. In more disappointing news for the coalition, Labor wins across the survey's margin of error, picking up anywhere between 76 and 85 seats in its more extreme models. The results come a day after the release of survey data, which found that several Liberal MPs who've been under threat from independent candidates are likely to hold on. These include Dave Sharma in Wentworth, Trent Zimmerman in North Sydney and Jason Falinski in McKellar on the Northern Beaches. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, if you want to have a look at the survey yourself, uh, just go to dailytelegraph.com.au. Anyway, if the results of the poll hold on Election Day, many of the coalition's hope-for pickups will not occur, including the, in the Hunter Valley, where Labor's expected to take the Hunter, Newcastle and Shortland by comfortable margins. The YouGov polling conducted exclusively for News Corp used new survey techniques that combine the results of nearly 19,000 surveys with other data to produce very precise pictures of seat-by-seat -seat voting intention. The survey's methodology, known as MRP, or multi-level regression, with post-stratification, whatever the hell that is, purports to be able to predict individual seat results more accurately than standard robocall techniques, and correctly predicted the hung parliament, which came out of the UK's 2017 general election. Look, overall, it does paint a bad picture, as do some of the most recent polls, for the government, with the status quo likely to be turned on its head next Saturday. What do you make of it? Leave me a comment. Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook, or if you want to send us a note, a text, you can do that too. 0406 the Marcus Paul in the Morning open line. It's there for you 24-7, seven days a week. Of course. Okay, welcome back. Friday morning, Marcus Paul in the Morning. Look, I, I made a comment yesterday on the Facebook page, which many of you uh, left your thoughts about. It was in relation to the fact that I think for some uh, within the Liberal National Party, the reality is finally starting to sink in. Now, for years, I've been arguing that Australians feel they have not been getting a fair go on many issues from the government. I believe that the other night's debate and subsequent fallout is proof of this. And it's not just a, a silly lefty opinion or one that's guided by a, a working association with like-minded journalists and commentators. It's one that has been gained by listening to people from all over Australia who have connected via both the, the radio shows and, of course, here on the Facebook page as well. Now, the scenes in Tasmania yesterday of a tearful Bridget Archer and look, I'm not making light of people's mental health and Bridget looked quite distressed uh, because, of course, 
Uh, I mean, she has a, a history. She crossed the floor against the government, which caused her, uh, you know, put pressure on her. And, and of course, when people voted in that uh, forum the other night on the Channel 7 debate, it was pretty obvious that uh, anyone who was perhaps undecided in her electorate are now going into bat for Labor. So I can understand that she might have been, you know, suffering some anxiety over that. Look, the point is uh, not to make light of her mental health, uh, absolutely not. But what I think it, it means is that in reality is starting to, to hit home for people like Bridget Archer. And it, it points to the fact the Prime Minister has misjudged the overall public sentiment of Australians. Uh, For so long, I've asked my listeners, you listening out there and followers on social media, a simple question. Are you better off today than you were a decade ago? Most of the people I speak to say no, and in particular, those aged between the ages of 18 up to 50 years of age, who are predominantly working class. They're the circles that I move in. People who've contacted me believe that the Prime Minister has forgotten about them and has cheered on as big business thrived, while ordinary mums and dads scrounged through their last remaining dollars every week to fill up the family car with petrol. Of course, I understand that small business would be terrified of the prospect of wage growth in line with inflation at its current level. However, any figure settled upon by the independent body that's the Productivity Commission, will not exclude the fact, and you can't exclude the fact, that people's real wages have simply not grown for many years. To working-class Australians, this is seen as a failure of Scott Morrison's government, especially given overall business profits have reportedly increased. So we, we can't risk seeing Australia increasingly becoming a country where the divide grows. Put simply, People who have a go, that is, work a traditional 40-hour working week, should get a go, and they haven't been. That is why I believe Australia will see a change in government next Saturday. Look, if you want to comment on that story that I put up on the Facebook page, you can. Uh, Lane says, Marcus, your last paragraph needs correcting. All people should get a go working a 40-hour week, a 15-hour week, not working due to health issues or other reasons. Everyone should be taken care of. Look, of course, that's true, Lane, but I was pointing out that if you work a full traditional working week, you should be able to keep your head above water in a country like Australia. Uh, Nathan says, instead of looking at wages as a way of keeping costs down, we should instead be looking at other costs of doing business and the forces driving up those prices, such as insurance, electricity, etc. The problem is the Liberal National Party is working for them while demonising the workers. Yeah. Um, Mandy says, Marcus, spot on. Bring people back into how governments work. After all, it's our taxes that governments use. Uh, Michael, meanwhile, says low-income earners return the vast majority of what they get to the economy and small business in particular. Working-class spending contraction will hurt small business if real wages continue to go backwards. Small business will gain more in turnover than they lose in increased wages. And this one as well from Nicholas, and I'll finish on this one. Marcus, I'd argue that generally... 
If you can't pay your employees decently, then you shouldn't be in business. Well, if you'd care to comment on that, you can on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Or perhaps you might want to give us a call. Uh, Let us know your thoughts on the hotline 0406 521 250. Yeah, Friday morning. Welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. 0406 521250 is the open line number if you would like to have your say. All right, well, there's been some developments in this, uh, well, quite bizarre story uh, that we've been talking about for a couple of days. Uh, That is the cocaine stash found at the port of Newcastle. Well, I see now a man has been charged in Queensland after more than $20 million worth of cocaine bricks were found and a dead drug mule discovered nearby at the port of Newcastle earlier this week. So a bloke's been charged in North Queensland. Inquiries led by organised crime squad detectives saw officers from the Australian Federal Police and Queensland Police arrest a 62-year-old man as he tried to board a plane to Singapore at around 5.30 on Wednesday night. He was taken to Cairns Watch House and charged with importing large commercial quantities of a border control drug and a large commercial drug supply. It's good work by our police. Detectives from the crime squad travelling to Queensland to seek permission to bring the man to New South Wales when he appears in Cairns Magistrate Court. Now, of course, on Monday morning, workers found an unconscious diver floating in the water at uh, Kooragang to birth at the port of Newcastle near a large waterproof sack of cocaine. He was wearing a sharkskin scuba wetsuit and a high-end rebreather. Paramedics performed CPR on the man, but sadly he could not be revived. Now, police believe this bloke, who's been identified as a foreign national, was a drug mule attempting to retrieve around 50 kilos of coke which has an estimated street value of more than $20 million from inside the hull of the Areti GR Majuro cargo ship. It's believed the diver and some of his criminal counterparts got some of the drugs ashore before the man's death. Now, Australian Federal Police, Police and Australian Border Force are assisting New South Wales Police in their investigation, with one source saying it's not believed the diver arrived in Australia on the ship from Argentina, but rather had been based in New South Wales for some time, doing similar diving jobs for criminal syndicates. The cocaine was hidden in the sea chest. It's a part of the ship that sucks up water inside to be used for cooling, according to officers. We think this was the man's job, and he's done it before. It definitely wasn't their first time. An empty bale used to carry the cocaine blocks out of the ship was found along the Hunter River on Tuesday. Now, the ship, the Areti, docked at the port of Newcastle at around 5.30 last Sunday afternoon, completing its voyage of more than a month from Argentina. Now, less than 12 hours later, members of a crime syndicate were pulling up alongside the ship, one of them decked out in scuba diving gear as they attempted to recover the cocaine attached to the vessel below the surface. Uh, 
During the smuggling effort, the diver suffered complications and died, with his counterparts leaving both him and a waterproof sack of coke behind. Aren't they charming? New South Wales Police organised crime squad boss Rob Critchlow said they believed the drowned driver was part of the syndicate, who knew what he was doing, and when things went wrong, he was, quote, left for dead by his criminal counterparts. He went on to say this is a well-drilled professional group, comfortable doing what they were doing. They were comfortable sending drugs on a ship across the world to get in and target our community here in Australia, so they knew exactly what they were doing. Well, we'll follow this story with interest and we'll see what happens to this man who was arrested trying to board a plane to Singapore just the other night. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back on this Friday morning. It is the 13th. Are you superstitious? Watch out for black cats and all that (laughs) being Friday the 13th. All right, well, as I mentioned on the program, I think it was last week, Andrew O'Keefe, his fall from grace continues. The troubled former game show host has been back in court yesterday. And as I suspected, he apologised to a judge over a, uh, an unsavoury outburst just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the embattled former television game show host has conceded he disrespected a magistrate during a dramatic court outburst. The 50-year-old ex-host of the Chase Australia accused magistrate Daniel Rees of having no interest in justice during a bail hearing in Sydney Central local court. That happened a week or so ago. But yesterday... A quieter and more reserved Andrew O'Keefe said, I do wish to offer an apology unreservedly. My behaviour last time was quite disrespectful to the court. I come from a family that has experience in the judiciary. My father was a judge. I know how difficult the job is. Now, after previously warning Mr O'Keefe that his behaviour could constitute contempt of court... Mr. Rees accepted the apology and said that no further action would be taken. Ah, gee, it's been a a real fall from grace for Andrew O'Keefe. He's been remanded in custody since January after police accused him of grabbing a former sex worker by the throat, punching her and pushing her to the ground. Now, he pleaded not guilty to all charges, including intentionally choking a person without consent, three counts of common assault, and one count of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. In the weeks after the arrest, police laid further charges after Mr O'Keefe was found with one and a half grams of marijuana. He has pleaded guilty to one charge of possessing a prohibited drug and is yet to be sentenced. Now, Mr O'Keefe has previously claimed he acted in self-defence and was the victim of an assault himself. Now, the woman who police alleged was the victim has not been charged with any offence. After securing a bed at a drug rehab facility in Port Stephens, of course, Andrew O'Keefe made his latest bail bid on May 4, but it was rejected by the magistrate due to the fact that, well, he found that, and he found it, uh, uh, well, obviously troubling that, Mr O'Keefe continued offending while he was originally out on bail. There we go. And of course, at that point, that's when O'Keefe lost it. Uh, He erupted in anger and and basically was almost found in contempt of court. 
Well, he would have been had he have not apologised to the magistrate yesterday. Anyway, uh, bail has been denied again. Uh, the magistrate saying he's not willing to allow the unacceptable risk of letting O'Keefe leave custody. So at this stage, um, I mean, no further bail application will be made and the case will return to court in September for a hearing. Now, it is hoped that the former uh, awardee of a, an Order of Australia for his work on television and in the charity space and a former ambassador ironically, for anti-domestic violence organisation White Ribbon. It is hoped that Andrew O'Keefe will get the help that he obviously needs and that he can, uh, you know, get back into community and back to work doing whatever that will be uh, without court cases hanging over his head. But I suspect that's still a while away. Marcus Paul in the morning. Friday the 13th, good morning to you. Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. My hotline number 0406 521250. As you know, we rely heavily on social media, in particular Facebook, uh, for our program. And I've noticed a, a number of my supporters have downloaded this uh, new app, which provides a free digital avatar. But do they actually realise that's a Russian-designed app and the communists may well be getting your data. Yeah, here's the story. Russia is after your personal data. Experts, that's IT experts, are warning internet users not to download the latest online craze, new profile pic that apparently hoovers up your details and sends them to Moscow. Tens of thousands of people have already uploaded their photographs to the service of the new profile pic app in return for the free avatar. However, many will be unaware that the company behind the app, Line Rock Investments, is based in an apartment complex that overlooks the Moscow River. And it's also right beside Russia's Ministry of Defence and just a couple of miles from Red Square. Jake Moore, who's the global cybersecurity advisor at ESET Internet Security, he's told the Mail Online that people have to be incredibly careful when uploading photographs or personal data to a brand new website. He says the app is a likely way of capturing people's faces in high res, and I would question any app wanting this amount of data, especially one that is largely unheard of and based in, of all places, Russia. The company behind the app, as I said, Line Rock Investments Limited, who according to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists Offshore Leaks Database, is registered in Moscow. It has a shareholder based in Panama, while a director is based in Russia. Now, of course, uh, there's a bit of history with all of this. Back in 2017, as you may recall, a St. Petersburg-based company released Another avatar, FaceApp, which allowed users to upload a photograph which would then, of course, be aged using artificial intelligence. A viral challenge prompted warnings from security experts about the amount of data the app was sending to Russia. According to the new app's promotional material, the world around us is fast-paced and always evolving. In this ever-changing world, why stick to one profile pic on your social media? Let's be different. Always new and made by artificial intelligence. 
All right, well, look, apparently, I mean, the, the company makes no secret. Their data policy is pretty clear. By agreeing to download the app, users are willing to share their location, details about the device they are using, as well as other photographs on their social media feeds. Uh, the company's policy says, we collect your name, email address, username, social network information, and other information you provide when you register. They also collect data on the user from other companies and combine it with their own dossier. The firm also collects the IP address, browser type and settings from a computer or the device data from a mobile phone handset. All right, well, the app does offer the latest in artificial uh, or AI technology and a constantly updated collection of amazing styles, and, and that's all good. But what happens with your personal information and your other pictures on your social media feeds? Who's harvesting this data and why do they need so much of it? Anyway, if you want some more details on this, the Daily Mail have a story on it and uh, there's a link on our Facebook page. And I won't be changing my profile pic to this Russian avatar, Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. Friday the 13th, 04065212520 or on the Facebook page, let us know your thoughts. While police investigating the Sydney shooting of Comanchero boss Tariq Zahid have uncovered a gun in a torch car as Underworld continues to buzz with theories on who organised the hits. Yep, Zahid lays in a coma courtesy of 10 bullets. Many which apparently were in his head. I don't know how this bloke survived, but he has so far. His brother, though, Omar, didn't. He's lying in a morgue. The hierarchy of the feared bikey gang will be plotting revenge, we're told, with the list of suspects as long as Tarek's criminal record. Sydney's underworld is buzzing with theories about who is behind the attempted killing of Tarek and the death of his brother. It comes as police on Wednesday cleaned up the body fit gym at Auburn, carrying out bags of evidence, rubbish and bloodstained fabrics from the crime scene. Gym staff were seen hugging each other as electrical and gas replacement services arrived in preparation for the cleanup. Police were also seen inspecting a burnt gun found at the site of the torched Audi at Barella, but they would not say if it was the suspected murder weapon. Officers were witnessed handling uh, the small handgun along with two bullets. Residents in the southwest Sydney suburbs of Barella and Greenacre spoke of their fear after the two Audi Q8 cars from the crime scene were set alight on local streets. Many said they didn't want to go on the record with one man saying he didn't want to brick through his window. Videos taken just minutes after the volley of bullets struck the Zahid brothers were shared among friends, showing paramedics frantically trying to keep Tarek alive in a five-metre radius of bright red blood covering the floor. Charming. Omar, meanwhile, is seen convulsing on his back in another video. As police hit the streets and talk to informers, as they collect CCTV and question associates, as they're trying to figure out who was behind the latest shooting, we're told that Buddle, 
now, Buttle, of course, being common chero boss Mark Buttle, would be sitting overseas trying to plot revenge. Maybe he's after more affirmative action. A former bikey has told the Daily Telegraph in Sydney there will be people kidnapped, tortured by his guys to give up information about who is behind it. He'll be under pressure to hit back, but first he has to find out who's behind it. It won't be easy. Many have jumped to the conclusion it was a revenge hit for the execution of Mahmoud Brownie Ahmed just a couple of weeks ago with the help of the Hamzi family. But multiple underworld sources and senior law enforcement officers said they believed it's unlikely that a joining of the Hamzi and Ahmad clans was behind the latest shooting. The feeling is they're not able to come up with the cash for this type of hit so quickly, said one underworld source. Stolen cars, two shooters, drivers, the weapons used, then the cash to the guys, it adds up to a lot. Oh dear. While being the National Sergeant of Arms of the Comanchero made Tarek Zahir a target of other bikey gangs wanting to settle old scores, of course, we heard police mention during the week that they warned him, you know, even last week, uh, that there was a contract on him and he needed to change up his routine. He chose to ignore that advice and uh, we've seen the result. All right, well, we'll see where it all leads to. At this stage, uh, the risk is real of another revenge attack. We can only hope that innocent bystanders aren't caught up in all of this bloody violence. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, 04065 Uh Look, just continuing the theme of unfortunate gang violence, uh, we, we told you the story about the uh, the shootings of the Ahmed brothers and police are still investigating that latest gangland hit. But a community rugby league game in New South Wales has been suspended after police uncovered threats of gang violence at matches. Yesterday, a statement from the general manager of the Penrith and District Junior Rugby League, Nathan Mayer-Leitner, advised members that New South Wales police could cancel matches where they discover evidence of potential behaviour, including group chats where threats involving weapons at games are made that could compromise the safety of players, staff or spectators. This comes as an adult match between the Londonderry and St Pat's team was cancelled last weekend. Please note, uh, the New South Wales Police Force will be cancelling matches across the state from this weekend where intelligence suggests everyone's safety is compromised. The statement reads, Police want clubs to understand when clubs know about conversations or group chats in and around playing groups, they must report it to the Penrith District Junior Rugby League and Police. As we can all appreciate, the New South Wales Rugby League and Penrith League will not tolerate threats of violence, intimidation or acts of violence, including a fray, which are all serious criminal offences. The letter stated that names of players who've been found making threats or plans to instigate on-field violence will be identified to clubs who will be contacted directly. Now, the Penrith Rugby League boss also added players, coaches, parents and spectators found to be involved in organising acts of violence will be given the strongest sanction or of removal from the competition. 
Now, in response to this statement, the New South Wales Rugby League said, clarification from the New South Wales Rugby League said that the potential acts of violence at community sporting grounds isn't a statewide issue, but rather a specific concern under the jurisdiction of the Riverston Police Area Command. They also said it was relating to potential issues needing to be addressed in adult community rugby league and not children's football. Both the Penrith District Rugby League and the New South Wales Police are undertaking strong community initiatives as part of a number of strategies to address issues and concerns around youth at risk of drifting into a life of crime and gang violence. That was the statement from the New South Wales Rugby League. Meanwhile, New South Wales Police also say they are working closely with sporting clubs and organisations to ensure the safety and well-being of participants and the community. Well, of course, this announcement comes as Sydney is ravaged by a series of attacks linked to gang violence. Most recently, as I mentioned, top Comanchero bikey boss Tariq Zahid and his brother Omar were attacked by a spray of bullets while leaving a gym in Auburn. The assault killed Omar while Tariq remains in an, uh, an induced coma at Westfield uh, Westmead Hospital. Last month's fatal stabbing at the Sydney Royal Easter Show has also been linked to suspected postcode gang wars between the rival suburbs of Doonside and Mount Druitt. The horrific incident resulted in the death of a 17-year-old who was stabbed in the chest while working on the breakdance carnival ride. In light of the recent development, the Doonside Junior Rugby League Club, which the victim formerly played for, also shared the statement from Penrith Rugby League. While police are yet to formally charge someone for his death, uh, the deceased's family have previously appealed to members of the public to come forward. Nearly a month now and no closure on who killed my son. I'm heartbroken and shattered. Um, Things in the family will never be the same again. His mother, Janice, wrote in a statement, the killer needs to be found. Teenagers and people that witnessed my son's murder need to come forward. This person is a danger to people. If anyone has any information, please contact police. Speak to someone. My son's killer needs to be found and we need closure. Yeah, this was this Utai Pelly uh, Faleto who was killed in a stabbing incident at the Sydney Royal Easter Show. Former Penrith Panthers player Lou Zivanovich also asked people who had the intent to commit violence to stay away from the sporting field. He said to Fox Sport, all gangs should stay away from kids enjoying rugby league. There is no place for gangs in the Penrith Junior Rugby League, he said. We fully support any police crackdown on gang violence at matches. Boys and girls, men and women, should be allowed to play the game they love in a safe environment and not have to worry about any violence. Well, we'll watch this space with interest. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday. Well, Greg Norman has found himself at the centre of an international storm after labelling the torture and murder of a journalist by Saudi Arabia as simply a mistake. And some are saying if there was ever any doubt that Greg Norman places money ahead of morals, it was dispelled when he answered one question at a media day. 
Uh, Greg Norman, who's now 67, attempted to brush off questions about the murder of the dissident Saudi Arabian journalist Jamal Khashoggi by saying, we've all made mistakes. Now, the former golfer was speaking as he laid out plans for the $255 million Saudi-backed Live Golf International Series. Now, that's bankrolled by the country's sovereign wealth fund. Many of the questions during the day were political, and of course, they centred on sports washing and human rights, including the 2018 murder and dismemberment of Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Norman, who's the front man for the series, said, Everybody's owned up to it, right? It's been spoken about from what I've read. Take ownership, no matter what it is. Look, we've all made mistakes, and if you want to learn from those and how you can correct them. A UN special rapporteur and the CIA have claimed that Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince and the chairman of PIF, sanctioned the killing. Bin Salman has denied the allegation but accepted full responsibility as the leader of his country. Norman, who said he'd never met never met Bill Bin Salman, was also asked how he felt when he heard about the execution of 81 men in Saudi Arabia on March the 12th. I got a lot of messages, but quite honestly, I look forward, he said, I don't look into the politics of things. I'm not going to get into the quagmire of whatever else happens in someone else's world. Amnesty International issued a statement last week after Lee Westwood, one of those to seek a release for the first Saudi event next month, said golf was his job and he did it for money. We would all urge golfers attempted to play in Saudi bankroll tournaments to consider how sports washing works and how they may break its spell. Norman said Live Golf had injunctions ready to go if the PGA and DP World Tours tried to ban players after denying them releases. He claimed he would have no problem if players who joined his series spoke about human rights issues. Every player, he says, is entitled to their opinion and their voice. The two-times Open champion said the whole thing about Saudi Arabia and Khashoggi and human rights, talk about it, but also talk about the good the country is doing to change its culture. Now, the main tours are refusing to release players for the first $25 million Saudi-based tournament from June the 9th to the 11th. Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson and another 16 of the top 100 players have applied to play. The tour's stance against the eight event series is not based on human rights concerns, but power and money. Now, Greg Norman outlined his strategy. If you were a European tour member and came here without a release, the tour has a couple of options. They can fine you, they can ban you for life, or they can suspend you. If you decide to come here, we've got you back. We'll defend you, reimburse you, and represent you if you want to go down the legal route. Norman also said that the series did not need stars such as Rory McIlroy, who has said there is a morality to not taking the Saudi money, or Tiger Woods, who's absolutely shown no interest. All right, well, what do you make of that? Sports and politics, for goodness sake. And look, I understand Greg Norman's up to it in his eyeballs. I mean, he's involved with the Saudis as they bankroll some pretty prestigious, well, certainly, um, what's the word? 
worthwhile golf tournaments so far as prize money is concerned. Lucrative, that's the word I'm looking for. Should the Saudis be involved in lucrative golf tournaments? That's basically what it comes down to, given their human rights record. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit torn on this. I, I hate it when sports and politics mix, but I can understand there may be some golfers out there and some who think, well, no, I don't want to take Saudi money. It's bloodstained. That may well be their opinion. Greg Norman, though, uh, look, I can understand him defending it, uh, if you like, and pointing to some of the good, if there is any, that the Saudis do in the world. But you know, he's he's a businessman after all, and as we know in business, money talks. Marcus Paul in the morning. Anthony and Scott to the principal's office. Scott, Anthony, thanks for your time. I want to talk to you both about your behaviour at the debate this week. Quite frankly, you were squabbling like schoolboys. Yeah, well, he started it. God, no, I didn't. Okay, yes, you did. This is what I'm talking about. You're both trying to be school captain, but you're not behaving like leaders. Scott, wipe that smirk off your face. This is just my face, sir. Oh, of course, I'm sorry. Now, Scott, I have here a confiscated note, clearly written in your handwriting, that says Anthony loves the Chinese. I didn't write that. Yes, you did. I... Is it true, Anthony? Do you love the Chinese? No! And that's an outrageous slur, sir. Scott's the one that leased the port of Darwin. Well, this is the first I've heard of this. Scott, is it right? Did you lease the port of Darwin to the Chinese? No! Really? Well, m- maybe a little bit. When? Before recess, sir. Oh, so this is what I'm talking about, Scott. You can't go around saying things about someone else when you've done even worse yourself. Yeah, well, at least I'm not a socialist. That's an outrageous slur, sir. OK, well, Anthony, why don't you tell us? What's your policy platform? I'm not him. We're going to need a little bit more from you, Anthony. Did I mention my mum's a single mum on the disability page? Yes, no, we've heard that several hundred times, Anthony, but I'm talking about your policy platform. You can't remember any of them, sir. I can. I remembered one the other day. What was it? Uh, I've got some here if you need ah! some help. You can't give him his own policies. Come on, I just had COVID. Give me a break. I did more when I had COVID. Oh, no, Scott, enough of this petty one-upmanship. If you're both not careful, you're going to end up in detention. Offshore? No, the drama room. We're not animals. Can I just say, I'm in full support of detention. Yeah. Because you created it in the first place. That's both true and an outrageous slur, sir. <sighs> OK, Scott, why don't we talk about your policy platform, specifically the cost of living? Now, as I understand it, students are paying more for meat pies at the tuck shop than ever before. Well, there are international factors, sir. There is a war in Ukraine. That's why the pies are getting more expensive. But he stood up at assembly and told us pies would be cheaper under his leadership. Well, what about you, Anthony? How do you intend to bring down the cost of pies? We'll be announcing our pie policy in the fullness of time. Now, speaking of food, Scott, we've had some complaints from fellow students who say that your raw chicken curries are stinking out the library. No, no, it is not raw. It is just the way it looks in the light. This is why we need an anti-corruption body. Yeah, well, your face needs an anti-corruption body. At least I'd fund it properly. No, you won't. Yes, okay, I you two, enough, you enough. I'm going to give you both one more chance. Now, can you promise me you're going to walk out there into the schoolyard, campaign with dignity and earn the respect of your fellow students? Yes, sir. Pinky swear? <laughs> I sucked in, Scott. I had my fingers crossed. Oh, no, sir, that is not fair. Detention, both of you. This is outrageous, sir. You may not like me, but you need me. 
Alrighty, well, that's it for the program today. Thank you very much for your company. Just a, a bit of a shorter one today, still uh, <laughs> battling with the old teeth here. Um, yeah, uh, another visit to the dentist yesterday has me feeling a little sore and sorry and lispy. My apologies. <laughs> uh, hopefully things will settle down a little uh, over the weekend and uh, I'll make a bit more sense come Monday when we return. If you missed any of the program, don't forget the podcast will be available, Prawncast. It'll be up there a little later on the Facebook page. Uh, please, if you do uh, listen back on the Prawncast Feel free to share it on your social media. Stay in touch with our Facebook page. There'll be more content posted over the weekend for which uh, you can leave your thoughts and comments. We always appreciate them. If you want to call us, you can do so anytime, 24-7 on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Hotline, 0406 521250. Take care over the weekend. We'll catch you Monday morning between 7 and 9 on starterfm.com.au, the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and, of course, back on the Prawncast as well. Bye for now. Marcus Paul in the morning. Communists may well be getting your data.